Okay, so Psalm 104, if you have it, first thing I want you to notice, it's 35 verses. you see that? It's a lot of verses to cover. But nothing compared to next week, which is 45 verses. Or the week after that, which is 48 verses. But uh, I think I've been able to find the, the, the structure of the psalm, which means that we're, we're going to be able to go through it fairly quickly. In our normal amount of time, we're not going to take extra time. And what I have discovered as I've looked through the psalm is that this psalm is a psalm that focuses on creation. Okay? And you're going to see as you go through the psalm that it actually deals with creation following the chronology in the book of Genesis. So it's going to deal with some issues in day one of Genesis, day two. Day three, day four, day five, day six, and the seventh uh, act of creation in the book of Genesis. Okay? Notice how this psalm is related to Psalm 103. They both start the same way. This is the psalmist resolve. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so he's speaking to himself. He has this resolve. What he wants to do is bless or praise the Lord from his depths. We saw that that means from my inner being. And then he, he speaks to the Lord directly in the second half of that verse. Look what he says. O Lord my God, you are very great. Notice he uh, calls the Lord his God. Now the word Lord in all capitals is Yahweh or Jehovah in the Hebrew. And this is the God who revealed himself to Moses as a great redeemer. He says, Jehovah is my God as compared to the gods of the various nations. And he calls his God very great. You see that he's greater than all the other gods. He's the greatest thing in all of existence. He alone is above all others. And then he goes on and he says this, very interesting, right at the end of verse 1. He starts with these relative pronouns, who, 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 you'll see this. Who, number one, who covers or covers yourself with light as with a garment. Um, God is clothed. He's clothed, it says, in fact, I actually went to verse 2, didn't I? And no one told me. <laughs> in the verse 1 he says you are clothed with honor and with majesty so he wears honor and majesty as a garment so this is how God this is God is covered with honor he's covered with majesty now we start in verse 2 with the who's okay uh, what does this mean to be covered with honor and majesty what does it mean to be if I'm covered with something that means I'm clothed and God's covered with honor and majesty. Now imagine Queen Elizabeth in all of her royal regalia. She has her robe on, the one that has that collar, and she has this crown on, and she has the crown jewels on. She is covered with majesty and honor. And when people come into the room, and she is in this royal regalia sitting on her throne, they show her honor and respect because she's clothed with honor. She's clothed with majesty to the point that they say, yes, your majesty. And so God, he's describing God here in a kingly fashion. 
Okay? God, in a sense, is the king of all of the universe. And then in verse 2 he says, you cover yourself with light. And then look at the simile. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. Uh, this is very interesting because now he's going to go into that chronology in Genesis chapter 1. The chronology of creation. So, in Genesis chapter 1, on day 1 of creation, you know the first thing that God says? Let there be light. Let there be light. So look what the psalmist says here in verse 2. He covers, you cover yourself with light as with a garment. So his majesty and his honor uh, are like light in a sense. Uh, they're manifested through light. The, his light reflects his majesty. So God is called light. Jesus is called the light, isn't it? Then, remember what Acts says? It says, And then a great light shone from heaven. And a voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What was it? It was a light. And what did Saul do? He fell down. He says, What is it, Lord? See, the light and the Lord. See, covered with light. And so we have this first day of creation. God says there is light. Okay? Now, on day two of creation, it's very interesting. I'm going to just read you the verse from day two in Genesis. And here's what it says. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And he called the firmament heaven. Okay? Now look in verse two. This is like day two. To stretch out the heavens like a curtain. So God makes heaven. Okay? How hard is it for God to make heaven? Well, that's sort of like pulling a curtain. That's how hard it was for God to, to stretch out the heavens, like pulling a curtain or rolling out a bolt of cloth. That's about how difficult it was for God to do that. See? So now we have, he said, let there be light. There's light. Now we have heaven. And the psalmist is going to go down that chronology, which is very interesting. Now look, at the, look what else it says in verse 3. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in waters. So, in other words, above the firmament, above the heavens, is water, the beginning of creation. There's Actually, there's water above the firmament, above heaven, and there's water below the firmament, according to Genesis. Everything is water at this point. And then he goes on to say, who makes his clouds, his chariots, who walks on the wings of the wind. And this is simply poetic language that says, you know, in the midst of all this creation, you know, God is sort of overlooking, overseeing all of his creation. So he's just using all this creation language in this song. In verse 4, he says this. He makes his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. These are his angels, and they are like lightning. Flame of fire is like lightning. That's how fast they move. They minister on his behalf and they serve God. Now, notice we're in day two. Day one, let there be light. Day two, he talks about a heaven, a firmament. And in day two, according to the psalmist, we have angels there in verse four. When you go to the Genesis account, 
We have no idea where angels come from. It never says anywhere in Genesis that God creates the angels. When were the angels created? We have no idea, but we do know one thing. On day two, guess what? There are angels there. Okay, so that's important that you see that. That's a big theological question. If I were in college, we'd be talking about you know, when the angels were created. So here we have the angels on the second day, and they minister to God. They serve God. Now look at day number three. What happened in Genesis on day number three? Listen to this. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered in one place, and let the dry land appear. So you had water above the heavens, you had water below the heavens, and so God says, let the water under the heavens be gathered in one place, and let the dry land appear. So now we're going to have the appearance of the earth. Now, look at verse 5. This is day 3. You laid the foundations of what? The earth. So that it should not be moved forever. The earth is fixed in place. Look at verse 6. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The deep is the water. Okay. So, originally, water covered the entire earth. Okay? There was water above heaven. There was water below heaven. And the water covered the entire earth. It covered even the mountains. It covered everything. There was land there. There was earth. But guess what? You couldn't see it. You know why? Because it was under the water. Okay? So we have this water, see? And it is, is not yet emerged. This land has not yet emerged. Look at verse 7. At your rebuke, they fled. That's the waters of verse 6. The waters fled. God spoke, and guess what? The waters fled. At your voice, the voice of your thunder, they, that's the waters, guess what they did? Hastened away. They started moving. They started separating, you see. Look at verse 8. They went up over the mountains, and they went down into the valleys. And so suddenly the water starts subsiding, and it starts going down through the mountains and down through the valleys, the psalmist says. He's describing it that way. Look where they went, into verse 8. To the place which you founded for them. They all moved downward and they went to a place where God, where God founded. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over. That's the waters. That they may not return to cover the earth. God sets a shoreline, and the water now is within certain shoreline. It's within certain riverbanks. The psalmist sees that. Now remember how the psalmist started the psalm. What was it? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then what does he do? He goes into the chronology of creation. Why is he blessing God's soul? Why is he praising God? Because of the creation. So this is what he's doing. His praise is based on the creation. It goes on to say, in verse so notice it says in verse 9 that they may not return to cover the earth. Then verse 10. He sends the springs into the valleys. Still dealing with the water and the earth. So it sends the springs into the valleys. And they flow among the hills. So that's where you have these streams and everything going through the mountains and through the hills. What's the purpose of all that? Look at it. They give drink, those springs, those rivers, give drink to every beast in the field. The wild donkeys 
quench their thirst. So this water that's going down through the hills and down through the valleys provides drink for the wild animals, the wild animals. Look at verse 12. By them, that's the waters, the birds of the heavens have their home. Notice where they have their home? They have their homes near the springs. Do you see that? Near the water. That's where birds, why do the birds get near water? They need a drink. That's what they do. <laughs> and then it says, they have their homes, they have their homes. They sing among the branches. This is the birds. Verse 13, the water, he waters, that's God waters the hills with his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. So from the earth and the waters, we have some sort of you know, growth. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. He causes the grass to grow. For what purpose? For the cattle. So notice, it, up through verse 13, he was dealing with just water, right? Drink for animals. Water for animals. Now he's going to deal with food. Look, the water brings forth vegetation. He causes, in verse 14, the grass to grow for the cattle. Food for the animals. He goes from wild animals to domesticated animals, tame animals, like cows, like cattle. And vegetation for the service of man. So here we have man eating vegetation. Man originally didn't eat animals. What did they eat? Vegetation. They were vegetarians. Right? It's not until sin enters the world that man starts to eat meat. That he may bring forth food from the earth. So the water you know, wetens the earth. And food comes up for cattle and man. What else? Verse 15. This is very interesting. And wine that makes glad the heart of man. So, the water produces drink to satisfy somebody's thirst. The water produces vegetation for food that makes somebody healthy. It also produces grapes or wine there in verse 15 that makes glad the heart of man. Food makes him healthy, the wine makes him happy. Okay. Now look at the middle of verse 15. Oil. That would be like olive oil. Olives are produced. What's the olive oil for? To make his face shine. Do you know they didn't have soap in those days? Do you know how people refreshed themselves? They used oil though like. <laughs> this is the oil for the purpose of, of making your face shine, you know, making, making you have a good complexion. Look what else this water and vegetation does. Look at end of verse 15. And bread, that's wheat, you know, the staff of life, which strengthens man's heart. Verse 16. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. They are alive. The trees are alive. Now, you can, it could be talking about maple syrup, but I don't think it's talking about that. I think it's just saying that the trees are alive right there. 
In verse, whatever verse we're in. What verse is it? 16. Okay. The cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, means they are alive. Same thing. They are alive. Where the birds make their nest. The birds nest in these trees. And the stork has her home in the fir trees. And so, guess what? The vegetation not only feeds people, but guess what else it does? It provides a home for animals, for birds. This is where the birds get their homes. From the, notice how God is providing for all of his creation. And that's basically what this psalm is all about. Look at verse 18. It provides them a place to stay, a place to live. The high hills, guess what they're for? Wild goats. God gives them a place. Now I've got goats. My neighbor's next, my next door neighbor's yard, we have goats. And Lynn and I drink our coffee and we watch the goats. I said, look at them, they're running now. We were, we're sitting there, you know, we're four people watching goats run. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. Even cliffs have a purpose. They serve as a home for animals. So what he's describing here is on the third day, God causes the waters to subside, the earth in a sense to appear, and the water provides drink, goes down through the streams, provides drink for the animals, wild animals, domesticated animals, vegetation is produced for the animals and for man to make us healthy, wine to make us happy, oil for our face to shine. He's saying that God provides for all of our needs. That's day three. Okay? Now look at day number four. Here's what happened on day number four. Listen to Genesis. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. One for the day, one for the night, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So God creates two lights in the heavens. Now look at verse 19. He appointed the moon for the seasons. And the Jews were on a lunar calendar. The sun, there's the second, the moon, the sun knows it's going down. So the moon comes up, the sun goes down. What happens? You have darkness. You have night. Look at verse 20. God, you make darkness. And it's night. It's called night. What happens at night? Now watch this. End of verse 20. In which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. God even provides the food for the lions and the wild beasts. When do the beasts come out? They come out at night. They pray at night. The night has a thousand eyes. Dark, and then you just see eyes. And that's the beast. And that's when they get their, their prey. And it's all part of God's plan. And that's how he provides food for the beast. Look at verse 22. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. 
what happens? Man goes out for his work and his labor until the evening. So the night is made for the beast and the day is made for man. And we go out and we work and we, in those days they would have probably farmed and they would have done whatever they needed to do. And although God provides the initial creation, guess what? Man has to sustain that creation and all this produces the provisions for man and for beasts. <clears throat> Verse 24 is a summary statement. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. He's just blown away by God's creation. In wisdom, you have made them all. Now, day number five of creation. What happens on day number five? Listen to Genesis. Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. God created the great sea creatures. And the evening and the morning fifth day. Let the sea abound with living creatures. And God creates big creatures. Fifth day. Now look at verse 25. The great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things. Yes, there are minnows and there are sharks and there are starfish and all kinds of things in the sea. Living things, both small and great. But that's not all. There are ships. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan, this great sea monster, which you have made to play there, in meaning in the sea. So what we have is the sea becomes a path for ships, and it becomes a place for fish, Large, small fish, big fish, you know, this leviathan, this giant fish. That's what Genesis said. God created great sea monsters and put them in there. This is a great sea monster, the, uh, the uh, leviathan. So you have these ships who sail, you have the fish who, who play. It says they play there, they jump, you know, they spout, they swim in schools. All of this going on in the sea. And the ships and the fish are living in proximity with each other. In fact, they're not talking about big warships. They're not talking about battleships. They didn't have battleships in those kinds of days. What kind of, what kind of boats were out on the, on the sea in those days? What do you think? Fishing boats. <laughs> they lived in proximity with each other. And guess what? One was trying to catch the other one. And the other one's trying to get away from the other one, in a sense. And so he puts all this in the sea. Now look what it says there in verse 27. These all wait for you, that you may give them food in due season. God provides food for the fish, and he provides food for the fish. And it's all God's doing. And the psalmist realizes this, and this is why he wants to praise the Lord. It's all dependent on God. Look at verse 28. What you gave them, they gather in. You open their hand, your hand, and they are filled with good. See, the psalmist sees everything, even, even fish food, as coming from the hands of God, and it's good. And he sees the food for the fishermen as good. 
<coughs> down verse 29. Oh, but now we go to a negative. You hide your face. And you're troubled. God turns his back on creation. Even on the fish, you have flight. Fish die. If he turns his back, the fishermen won't be able to catch anything. How long were the apostles out trying to catch fish? All night. Did they catch anything? That's when he has his back turned on them. But Jesus said, throw it out on the other side of the net, on the other side of the boat. What happened? So many they couldn't pull it in. So that's what you have in 29. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, and guess what? They die and return to their dust. God even provides. God is the one who is basically even in charge of death. He takes away the spirit out of the living being, and they die. God is the one who giveth, and the one who takes away. Now we come to day number six. Genesis says, God created man in his image. And he breathed into man the spirit, the breath of life. And man became a living being. So now notice what the psalmist does in verse 30. He talks about God's spirit. You send your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth. God breathes his spirit and people live. He gives physical life, mortal life to people. He breathes in the man and he gives eternal life to us. When Jesus said you have to be born again, remember that? That which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. Born of what? The Spirit. God has the breathing Spirit into us. He breathes His Spirit into us the first time when we're born. We become mortal beings, physical life. He breathes His Spirit into us the second time when we're born again and we're given eternal life. So he talks here about the Spirit. And then finally he comes to the seventh day. And what does God do? He takes a survey. He looks at all that he has made, Genesis says. And he says it is good. And he rests. So look what the psalmist says in verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. God has created everything. He delights in what he makes, and he rests. Verse 32 says, He looks upon the earth and it trembles. And after creation, remember, man rejected God, and there was the fall, and there was the flood, and there was all this, and then finally God decides to create the nation of Israel. And he meets them on Mount Sinai. And it says, You look on the earth, and it trembles. Remember that trembling on Mount Sinai? He touches the hills, and they smoke. Mount Sinai quakes. And so he realizes that God is the one who is to be feared by all of creation, for he is the one who provides. He is the giver of life and the taker of life. As a result of this, this should be our result. This should be our response. Look at verse 33. He says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. As long as I have breath, I will sing to the Lord, Jehovah. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. 
So there is his resolve. This is what he will do in light of God's provision, God's creation, and God's provision. He realizes that no matter what he does, everything comes down from the end of God. He said, I'll work for it. Well, guess what? Even your breath to work and your strength to work comes from God. Everything comes from God. He says, so guess what? As long as I have breath, as long as I'm alive, I will praise the Lord. And then what he does is he tells us about thinking. See, in verse 33, this is what he says. I will sing, I will sing, I will praise. See? But now look what, he'll, what will he think. May my meditation, may the way I think, be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. Look at this. May the way I think be sweet to him. If God looked upon the things that you've thought about this week, could you describe it as being sweet to him? What's your thought life like? His thought life, he keeps focusing on the Lord. And he has this positive, sees God in a positive way. And he says it's sweet, it's a sweetness to God. It's like a sweet, savoring offering to God. He says, I'll be glad in the Lord. And this is, notice the word may in verse 34. See that? May. Uh, this is his desire. May my meditation be sweet. And that should be a prayer. Every one of us should say, may my meditation, may the way I think, be positive, be sweet, a sweet savoring to the Lord. Now he has another may in verse 35. So he has a desire for himself to praise the Lord and think positively on the Lord, but he also has a desire for sinners. Look what he desires for sinners. May sinners be consumed from the earth. That's what he wishes. And the wicked be no more. So he has this twofold desire. One, he wants to praise the Lord and he wishes that all sinners were wiped off the face of He envisions a day, in a sense, when evil and corruption are purged from the earth, and the only thing that's left are people who recognize that God's the creator and he's the provider of all that they have and all that they need. And we envision that day too, don't we? When the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, Jesus Christ. When everything that has breath will be praising the Lord. In fact, that's how Psalm 150, the last psalm, is. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That is our hope, that one day that will become a reality. And when we consider God and His creation and His provision, look what we're to do. The end of verse 35. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul! Praise the Lord! He says. Let me tell you something. In a country like America, where we're so self-sufficient, and we think that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we give ourselves far more credit than we should, the psalmist has a word for us. The psalmist goes right back to the beginning. He says, hey, it is God who created you, not you yourself. God is your creator. And no matter what you think you've earned, no matter what you think you, you work for, no matter what you think you produce, he says, I want you to realize it's God who's provided for you. 
And in light of that, guess what you should do? We'll go to Psalm 104 next week. Lord, we thank you for this Psalm of Creation. May we have this appreciation that you are the Creator. And we think of all the philosophies that are going around now, humanistic philosophies, atheistic philosophies, that just see no beginning, no start, no God. They see us just evolved beings who have learned to survive by our wits and strengths and that we're the center of the universe and it's through our genius that we live and we exist and we survive and we provide for our families and we look at others and we say, oh, they're not providing for their families and look at them, shame on them and Lord, we need to just be humble and realize no matter what condition we're in, whether we're in humble circumstances or where we're wealthy and all of our needs are made or, or provided that we realize that it all comes down from you, the Father of lights. It's all through your gifts that our needs are met. Thank you, Lord. We acknowledge that in Christ's name. Amen.